guys. Um, I hope we see that see it that way um, as opposed to uh, preferences. So it's Father's Day, right? And today we get to further our series in gospel and kingdom, and we get to talk about the promised kingdom. Now, as a dad, um, and I'm assuming other dads uh, in the process, we try to make promises we can keep, right? Most of the time. Uh, oftentimes there are situations in our lives, um, especially mine, where I will say to the girls, yeah, let's go get some ice cream, and then a thunderstorm happens, and then effectively I cannot follow through with my promise. Um, I am human, and as dads we are fallen, and we are in this world, in, in, in a sinful world at that um, but God's plan of redemption is for this world and for his people. And we know that our Heavenly Father, his promises, his promises are always true and they always are fulfilled. And I hope that as we go through the Abrahamic covenant today, that we can see God's plan of fulfillment in our lives and also the world around us as fallen, but yet being made right. So the first place I'd like to start is something very familiar and near and dear to our hearts because we spent over a year and a half in this book. It's Ephesians. Um, so I'm going to begin in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. I'd like to read this for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purposes of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering your people to get today in your place that we may proclaim your glories today, that our hearts may be open to hear your word, and that if there's anything that Greg says that is preferential, I, I pray that you wipe that. Wipe it away from their memory and thoughts that, that your word is proclaimed because your word is the one that changes the hearts. God, I ask your blessing on this day and on these fathers. Say, hear the word. And I pray this in the name of your beloved son, Jesus. Amen. So in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, Paul takes us from eternity past to eternity future in just a matter of a few verses. Paul basically gives us here the entire eternal plan of God. Before the fall, before any disobedience had taken place, before the kingdom pattern would be the kingdom perished, as we talked about last week, God already decided on his plan of redemption. Before time even began, he had determined in eternity past, that he would call a people for himself through his son Jesus and restore everything under him as a plan 
for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Ephesians 1.10. And we also know why God decided to rescue the world to the praise of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1.6, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1.12. And in Ephesians 1.14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? The theme here, above all else, what is God concerned about? God is concerned about his name. He is concerned about his name and the praise of his glory. This is not like an ego boost, okay? So when we praise our own glory, we tend to think of it in a sinful, fallen way. But God, this is not an an ego boost. This is not an evil. This is God looking to restore things in the way that they should be. God is meant to be the center of the universe, and he is meant to be the king and the ruler. So what is best for us is for God to be the the center of this universe, of our universes, of our kingdoms that we tried to build, including the center of our hearts in which we can be building his kingdom. We need to have a proper understanding of the kingdom to understand this main idea here. And I'm going to say it a couple times as we go out. But the main idea is that all nations of the world will see the kingdom of God through the Abrahamic covenant and its diverse promises are completely fulfilled in the person, Jesus Christ. Right? So the nations will see the redemption of creation taking place before their eyes. And whether or not they realize it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to them. The kingdom of God, the future consummation of this kingdom, is being partially realized around this earth. But coming from Abraham, we will see the promise of a person that will be the kingdom of God. He will be the kingdom of God. And from him will come the spreading of this kingdom. So let's review. So far, we've seen God's pattern in the kingdom through creation, the creation covenant. God's people living in God's place under God's rule, right? So that, those are the three factors of the kingdom. Um, Adam is the mediator of this covenant, or the covenant head, right? So Adam is to rule over creation under God's great care and provision. That's his first thing. He's supposed to take care of the land and name all the animals, right? And then we see the kingdom perished. As Adam and Eve decide to exercise moral legislative autonomy, right? They wanted to be their own gods. They decided that they wanted to live under their own rule. And they no longer want to be the people of God. They want their autonomy, their individuality. And this is real today. We do this every day in our lives. We want to be morally, legislatively autonomous from God. We seek our own path and think that it's better. 
it's just kind of reflective of our issues with God. We don't want him to rule in our lives. A lot of times, we don't want him in there at all. So God acts in judgment, rightfully so. He casts them from the garden and he curses them, Adam and Eve. He creates relational strife between man and woman. He creates, well, Adam and Eve kind of created their own man and God relational strife by being more morally, legislatively autonomous. And man and woman can no longer live rightly with one another. Man and creation, and they are spiritually dead. And they will physically die. But God is so gracious and loving throughout this entire series. A lot of times when I grew up, I learned Adam and Eve, and it was just God separating. They screwed up. God punishes. They leave the garden. But what's so amazing is that even in the midst of all this disobedience, all this destruction and all this judgment, we are reminded that God is gracious church, be reminded that God is gracious. So we notice three things here, kind of in Genesis. Uh, Three themes, right? We know the first theme, sin. Next comes judgment, right? And then there's a third theme that often gets overlooked, but we can't overlook this at all. It's a theme of grace, Human sin is met by God's judgment, rightly, but also by his great mercy. We we see the serpent crusher, right? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, but it's not all bad news to them. God still, even in the midst of their sin, he clothes their nakedness. Look at his graciousness and his promise to the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, but he shall, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel. He and you shall bruise his heel. Here we have a prophecy of the coming serpent crusher. We have the, the promise of Jesus Christ. God's graciousness in the mark of Cain. Then the Lord said to him in Genesis 4:15. Then the Lord says to him, "Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold." Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. God is so gracious that he didn't even abandon Cain. What do we have here? Enoch, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The depressing refrain here is, and then he died, and it's missing in verse 24 of Genesis 5, but we are given hope that even in a fallen world, it is possible to know God and escape the penalty of death, right? Then we move forward, we go to the covenant with Noah, right? 
Genesis 6, 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. Once again, we see a huge grace of God. Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found favor, grace, in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the earth is full of sinful people at this point. But out of those sinful people, God chooses Noah, chooses Noah to be the recipient of this covenant, to receive this covenant. Him, his sons, his wife, and his son's wives. And Noah has faith slash belief in God. And Noah will be the covenant mediator. Through his family, the seed of the woman will come and Noah's functions as another Adam. We want to be able to see this contrast, this covenant Adams throughout the Jesus type, as we say. And Noah's family is rescued through this covenant. So we see God's grace, his mercy, followed by faith and belief, followed by salvation. Now, for the first time in Scripture, we would see the literal literal word covenant. But let's look at the parallels between the creation covenant and Noah. This covenant is a reinstatement. The covenant with Noah is a reinstatement and upholding of God's commitment to creation, the care for creation, to preserve to provide for, to rule over all that he has made, even in the light of sin, to not let the creation project fail. The difference with this promise is that creation has fallen. Von Roberts says, this covenant highlights that even in the midst of human sin and depravity, God will not allow creation to be finally lost. And he will ensure that mankind continues to fulfill their roles as God's image bearers. Right? That's what he's doing with Noah. God makes another promise once the waters go away, once they recede, right? In uh, 9-11, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And human sin... Human sin will not continue, or will continue, but God declares his commitment to creation. Although we are sinful and we will remain in this fallen state, God declares his commitment to creation. And God's grace, it is God's grace in that he is not done with this world. Once again, the story could have stopped right there, could have ended flood was an undoing of the creation order, but it was followed by a gracious restoration and a new start. So we'll see, we'll look at the parallels in scripture. So creation, Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. 
you shall have them for food. And Noah, what's God say to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. Kind of sounds familiar, right? It's like he's repeating. And fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the beasts of the earth and upon every bird of heaven. Subdue it. Oversee it. You are authority. Upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish in the sea, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Well, it's a parallel. It's the same thing. It's a covenant, right? Covenant relationship. We should take comfort when we see this. We should remember God's commitment to creation, his commitment to renew, his commitment to save and redeem. Noah, as Adam, though, will fall miserably, and he will fail. By the time we get to Genesis 11, we have Genesis 3 all over again. The problem is that the same evil heart remains. There is no change of heart. Again, Von Roberts says, what is needed in such a heart transformation tied to the forgiveness of our sin? Literally being born of God's spirit so that the human beings will fulfill the purpose of their creation, namely, obediently living in relation to their covenant Lord and to each other. Right? But this, this is a future reality. What we need to see so far is a picture of sinful, rebellious human attempts to make a name for themselves and a God, God who has elected and graciously called a man Abraham through whom he will make a name for himself and all the nations. He will bring forth a people and then a people who will willingly, joyfully submit to his gracious rule. How gracious is it, is God in this covenant, in his covenants, in his doing? What kinds of graces do you see of God in your life? What do we see? As a new creation, as one who has been born of the Spirit, right? What are the graces that God has shown you? So we've seen the pattern of the kingdom, the parish kingdom, and yet we are reminded and will be reminded here even further of the graciousness of God as we see God's promised kingdom in three different elements. So, see God's promised kingdom in three different elements. Again, we're talking about that all the nations of the world will see the kingdom of God through the Abrahamic covenant as its diverse promises are finally fulfilled in the person, Jesus Christ. Right? So I'll read Ephesians 1 through 3 to set us up. Past, future, very few verses. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, and in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which which he has blessed us in the beloved. This verse is so helpful in understanding and seeing the continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament. The people of God were chosen before the foundation of the world. They will all be saved by grace through faith, right? In the Old Covenant, it was made up of primarily the Israelites, and in the New Covenant, it's made up of all tribes and all nations. The Abrahamic Covenant also plays a crucial role in how we understand these two covenants. One of the key helpful verses when approaching the Abrahamic Covenant is Galatians 3.16, which says, "Now Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And who is that? That is Jesus, right? It's awesome. In Christ, we have the promise seed, the mediator of God's people. The one who fulfills all promises, and not the least of them, the Abrahamic promises. All of the promises to Abraham are completely fulfilled in Christ, but in Christ as Abraham's physical and spiritual seed. So the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant with Abraham is a promise of the kingdom of God. God's people, Abraham's descendants, God's place, the promised land, and God's rule, and therefore enjoying his blessing promise to the reverse, a promise to reverse the effects of the fall. This would have been crazy. It would have been a crazy thought for Abraham to believe, but, but he believed. He had faith. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, as we see in Genesis 15, 6. He was accepted by God, not on the basis of his own goodness, but by the faith in the promises of God. Are we living in faith in the promises of God like Abraham? This has always been the way of salvation for sinful human beings. By God's grace through our faith his faith, his enabling faith in us. We don't deserve this. Do you see that? We don't deserve it. We do not first choose God. We want to be morally, legislatively autonomous, but he chose us first. And once again, free will, we have but only in response to God's first acting upon us. Once again, God did not choose everyone. He did not act upon and enable everyone to receive this grace. It's the exclusivity of Christ. We don't deserve a place in this family. We deserve death. 
it would have been right and justified for God to proclaim death on all of humanity. But he didn't. And that's a grace. It's a grace we see in his covenant. And that is our only hope. Our only hope is our trust in the gospel. It's just the same for Abraham as it is for us. So note the Abrahamic covenant's place in the storyline of the Bible. Let's look at that, okay? This is coming after Genesis 1 through 11, and similar to the Noahic covenant, Noahic, uh, the Abrahamic covenant stands in contrast to the judgment of God on human sin, and it presents anew the plan of creation. However, unlike with Noah, God does not destroy the human race as he did in the flood. Instead, God allows the nations to exist and then calls Abraham out of the nations. Ultimately, God's intent is to work through the covenant mediator, Abraham, and his seed to bring the blessings of the nations by making him a great nation. You can now begin to see the contrast between the two kingdoms, a kingdom that is associated with God's saving initiative and his sovereign grace. Sovereign grace which will fulfill the role of Adam, bring salvation to the nations, and display to the world the kind of relationship that God originally intended for all of humanity. It is only through Abraham and his seed that we will see once again God's goal for creation, his establishment of the kingdom and divine rule over the world, the new creation. So as we look more specifically at the Abrahamic covenant, we will see in three different elements the graciousness of God through the promised kingdom. Start in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land uh, that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Move forward to Genesis 17, 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram's faith. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you na your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations." And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And it will be, and I, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offsprings after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which I shall keep. You shall keep between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your, in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See here, the people of God, the people of God will be gathered into one community from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Abraham's descendants will be, become a great nation that God will, that, that will be God's own people. Do you see that? And I will establish my covenant between me and your offsprings after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. We see this repeated throughout the Old Testament. I will be your God, and you will be my people. What does it mean to be the people of God? I think in order to understand this, we need to understand the nature of this Abrahamic covenant and understand what it means. So in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. And it's in, in its historical context, it not only encompasses spiritual elements that link us, but ultimately, it links us to the new covenant, right? It also consists of uh, national slash physical and typological elements there. So, he promises a land for all of eternity, right? So, we see that in the Abrahamic covenant, but it's pointing us towards the new covenant. It's pointing us to an eternal covenant, Right? which is the new covenant. So think through this. Seed of Adam refers to the natural physical seed, right? Every physical descendant of Abraham, and they show that covenant through circumcision. Seed of Abraham, it also refers to the natural physical, yet special seed tied to God's elective purposes. 
So we see from Abraham, we see Isaac, Jacob, and the entire nation, a mixed people of believers and unbelievers in this group, right? Seed of Abraham also refers to the true unique seed, namely Christ. Galatians 3.16, right? Christ. Jesus is the unique seed, right? Both physical and as the antitype or opposite of all the covenant mediators in the Old Testament. Seed of Abraham, the New Testament teaches us that all believers are the spiritual seed of Abraham. It does not have to involve a specific physical lineage or circumcision. That's grace, right? We have these other mediators who by God's grace and by faith still come up short. But even from the beginning, I want you guys to see this, even from the beginning of this Abrahamic covenant, we see God working in a way that would ultimately redeem all of creation, us included. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promises continuity of scripture just blows my mind all the time like I just I can't get over it Old Testament pointing to Christ and and Christ being proclaimed as a fulfillment of God's eternal salvific plan for all of creation I, I don't know it's a, that's a side note I just I it just blows my mind every single time so we see that the promise to bless the whole world through the descendants or the seed of Abraham, it has many different like angles to it. Like you look at something, you see it from this angle. Okay, I see that. And then you see it from a different angle. So it has a physical descendants, you know, one angle. And then it has a physical yet mixed spiritual group. And then it, then it has true unique descendants. The descendant ultimate Christ, right? And then spiritual descendants, which would be us. So the church is not simply the replacement of Israel, of God's place, of his promised place. It's a kind of renewed representation of that. Rather, the church, the church is new. Instead of making simply a distinction you know, of natures between Israel and the church here, uh, we must view the relationship between the two communities in light of Christ, right? 
um, all of God's promises tied to creation and the biblical covenants, including the promise of right? Israel, are brought to fulfillment in Christ, right? And in Galatians 3, it tells us this. This is why we need to call it a new covenant, right? This is a new covenant. It can be applied to the New Testament church and to the house of Israel. There is a continuity in the covenants, the covenant of grace, right? We see the covenant of grace throughout, and it's God's people have always been those saved by grace through faith. It has always been that way. So yes, Israel and the church are different, but the people of God have always been the people of God. They have always been the same. And what we see in the Abrahamic covenant is that on this earth, men and women are spread any many different kind of directions in the Tower of Babel. And through Abraham will come a man in whom the promises to Abraham will be fulfilled. Through this man, the redemption will take place in some of these people from all around the world. As redemption takes place, these people are gathered into one community known as the universal church. So we are literally in the midst of seeing the reversal of the Tower of Babel judgment. So, right, they build this giant tower. God confuses them in their languages and spreads them out through all the nations, right? Through the year. He's bringing them together, right? Through the universal church, through his new covenant. So, when we think about this, when we think about our desires, our desires to be God, and what he is doing to restore us to him, what desires are you chasing? What are your desires pointing you to? Is it pointing you to relationship community with Christ and with God? His fulfilling, him fulfilling his promises and his word? Instead of people chasing our own desires, pointing in every which direction, the redeemed have their desires pointing to one place, right? God. And as we proceed towards this kingdom, we are being gathered into one community under Christ. Isn't that? It's pretty amazing to be a part of that. It's really exciting. And God is establishing a whole new race through the particular grace of his son, Jesus Christ should live with a desire to see the people of God gathered into one community. should long for that. Because this, this little representation that we have here of God's community is a reflection of the promised kingdom to come when it's fulfilled. It's, it's here, but it's not quite 
all the way. We'll call it like the already not yet, right? So we have the promised kingdom, and the kingdom is at hand through Christ. And we get to live that out here in our tiny little microcosms called the local church, the local body. But then Christ will fulfill this. Ultimately, he already has and will, right? And then we have the hope and the promise of living in true community and sinless states that God will be our head and we will be his people in his place. How are we living our lives in light of that right now? What does that look like? We should live with the desire to see the people of God gathered in this community. The place slash land of God will be established whenever the redemption of Christ has taken place. Again, the place, land of God will be established wherever the redemption of Christ has taken place. So this begins with Jesus Christ the cornerstone of his place, land, is built upon this. So me and my girls, we're going through theology, right? So we read that, you know, a couple nights a week as a family during dinner time. And the church, we get to the theology of the church and what the church is. And we are the stones of the church, right? And Christ is our cornerstone. Is everything is built off of that. That is his place, right? His land. So we as a people are his land. I know it, it's a, it was really hard for my daughters to kind of think of us being living bricks in this. But, you know, that's, that, that's what we are as a community of God uh, gathered. Um, God's land, his place, is where the redemption of Christ has taken place. Abraham is commanded to leave his homeland and to go to another land that God will show him. This is Canaan, the promised land, right? And I will give to you and your offspring in Genesis 17 the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and, it will, and I will be their God. So the land promise is like a typology, right? So the land promise will be fulfilled in Christ, okay? And ultimately in the new creation, us. So it is not a physical land, but a land that, if understood correctly, is God establishing his kingdom through each of us. Wherever redemption has taken root, that is the kingdom of God, right? So what we see is that through the gospel is the following, that God has created everything, and this creation was meant to be his following, that God has created everything, and this creation was meant to be his kingdom. From the very beginning, God has created everything, and this creation was meant to be his kingdom. From the very beginning. We were meant to be his kingdom. 
And as the fall took place, God's kingdom was perished. But God promised, he promised through Abraham that this land portion of his kingdom will be restored. But if all of creation is God's and getting back to the pattern of the kingdom must mean the redemption of the entire earth. So when Jesus comes, he's play, he, he is the place of God, and he is the perfect kingdom of God, right? When he comes, then as Christ proceeds in his life and after his earthly ministry to bring about the redemption of his people and the surrounding creation, the kingdom of God is being established, right? So our workplaces our homes, our church, our relationships are being redeemed. We are literally watching before our eyes the unveiling of the kingdom of God. We are seeing creation restored back to its original intent. And now we are tempted to see the world as falling further away from God. We are very tempted and in some aspects, it really is. But I ask, how are you seeing the lives around you? How are you seeing the lives around you in this body growing nearer to God? Do we even see it? Do we see this promised land in our community and the promise of a kingdom? being built by Christ. just want to say we need to live with the desire to see the kingdom become a reality wherever we all go, whatever we're doing, wherever we are. And to see the land around us, how's God become the place of God? Right? How's God chosen to do that? Through his people. The blessings of God will be experienced by those living under the rightful rule of God as the people of God in the place of God. The blessing of God will be experienced by those living under the rightful rule as the people of God in the place of God. Abraham's descendants will be blessed, and through them all peoples on earth will be blessed. The curse of the fall would not, would be replaced, I'm sorry, the curse of the fall would be replaced by the blessing of salvation, and, it, and this blessing of salvation encompasses all nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called, I mean Abram, but it should be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God changes his name, changes Abram to Abraham. Abram, which means exalted father, and Abraham, father of multitudes. God appears to Abraham and promises to reverse the effects of his judgment. And he declares his intention to bring back the scattered people of the world and to bless them once more. His words to Abraham are first 
are the first clear statement of God's promises. It's the first clear statement of the gospel. This will dominate the rest of the Bible. John Stott says, it may may truly be said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole New Testament are an outworking of these promises of God. As people live as God's people, their blessing shall be experienced. Then also will the rest of the earth be blessed. I hope you guys can see through this Abrahamic covenant that the world has always meant, has been meant to thrive under the rightful rule of the king from the very beginning. This world seeks its own ruler. We seek our own rulers. It experiences judgment. It experiences pain. There are negative consequences. There are even disasters, natural disasters. But as the world is brought under the rightful rule of God, experiencing the way life is supposed to be. As we bring the gospel to the world and the world is redeemed, the blessings of God are experienced. How? How are we bringing the gospel to the world? Are we? How are we making God's land be seen as glorious, His promises, right? Are we living in light of the promises of the new covenant of, of Jesus Christ? And it's going to make a change. When we bring the gospel to the world and the world is redeemed, we will see those blessings and we'll see those appearances. I urge you to think about that in the gospel and how, how that is affecting your relationships around you as God is ultimately fulfilling and redeeming his, all of creation. So, let's recap a little bit. What we've seen through the Abrahamic covenant is that there will come a day when, there will come a day when the people of God will be gathered in one community. The place of God will fill this earth in the new creation. And the rule of God will be joyful and willingly enjoyed. How are we living joyfully and willfully underneath God's rule in His kingdom? As we've already stated, as a new creation, we are His place, right? We are under His rule. The kingdom of God is at hand with Christ. How are we living in light of that? And what is spurring you on towards this? Is your heart longing for the total completion of this promised kingdom. 
For the third time, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and hopefully it sits in a little bit differently. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every, uh, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he blameless before him, in love world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will the praise of his glorious grace which which he has blessed us in the beloved from adam to noah to abraham all the way through jesus we see god's plan was not to have two different people god's plan of love and salvation was established before time began and it was to have those whom he predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We are Gentiles. We have hope in the work of God and his promises. It is his kingdom, and we are a part of this covenant as born-again sons and daughters of Christ Jesus. To encourage you, church, let's live Let's live to see the people of God gathered into one community. Let's live to see the place of God fill the earth around us. And let's live to see the rule of God joyfully and willingly enjoyed. All of this is possible because all the nations of the world will see the kingdom of God through the Abrahamic covenant. as his promises are completely fulfilled in the person, Jesus Christ, right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. God, I thank you for your word. God, that you would give us your blessings that you would make with us a new covenant, that, you're, that, you, that your promises are fulfilled in Christ. God took on flesh. Christ did all the Father willed, and he was humbled unto death. in the name of Jesus.